everyone. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Dollar Mentor podcast series. Dollar Mentor is a 501c3 nonprofit public benefit organization. It's a small establishment with a big mission to serve the community by facilitating investment education to progress towards prosperity with confidence. Dollar Mentor is a completely volunteer driven organization. Neither the organization nor the people running it receive any compensation or economic benefits from the activities. Dollar Mentor does not sell any goods, services, or products. Everything that Dollar Mentor has to offer to the community is completely free. All resources and content of Dollar Mentor, including this podcast, its website, its lectures, and mentoring are for educational and informational purposes only. Dollar Mentor does not provide any professional services, including advice on legal, investments, taxes, and similar things. For expert advice or assistance that's tailored to your specific situation, please consult a competent professional. For general education and learning, continue listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoy it and find it useful. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into the July podcast of Dollar Mentor. I'm Shanjeev, the president of Dollar Mentor. And with me are my usual partners in crime, Shovik, our treasurer, and Sid, our vice president and secretary. You may already know that we have a monthly discussion session to tackle interesting things in the world of investing. It's called the Ask, Learn, Share. And this session is open to anyone who wants to join. Our last two sessions were devoted to investing discipline in market volatility. Since the market doesn't seem to make up its mind about which way to go, we decided that this would be a good topic for today's podcast too. We hope that most listeners would find it interesting. For me, the session could not have been more appropriate, given everything that is going on in the world. The economy, the investment market, I think this has to be uppermost on everyone's mind right now. At least that's what is bugging me these days. Hmm. I have to say that if we can follow sound and time-tested investment principles and we can control our emotions, then the market conditions shouldn't be much of a concern, right? Sid, are you saying that you are not behaving yourself? What do you mean? Behaving your finance at play? Sort of. I'm just saying that as a disciplined investor, you should take a long-term outlook and you should ignore the short-term things that are going on in the market. I know, I know. I'm not fully there, you know. Much as I like to think of myself as a model investor, I have this innate curiosity to understand market dynamics. I think I will never really get over it. So I find it very hard to ignore and do nothing about it. Hey, Sid, don't be so hard on yourself. I'm with you too. In spite of all I have learned about long-term investments, the past few months have been rough. How do you handle such roller coaster ride? It is hard to have one common answer for everyone. But perhaps we can simplify this a bit and we can talk a bit about what a model investor should watch out for in these situations, especially someone who has been following good investment habits. Yeah, I considered myself in that camp until recently. Now I'm not so sure anymore. Perhaps there are lots of people out there who are going through the same emotions as me. Let's recap what is a model investor. We are just talking about someone who has crisp financial goals, 
invest for the long term and stick to their investment strategy. First, it might be helpful to talk about why a model investor might make mistakes. There are two things can, that can be problematic. The first one is a misunderstanding of our own risk capacity. And the other one is an incorrect assessment of one's own risk tolerance. Maybe we should unpack what we mean by those terms a bit. First, what is risk capacity? Risk capacity is about a rational person's ability to take risk given their own concrete financial situation and financial needs. Risk capacity is not that hard to assess, but it can change over time. Almost all financial investments have one risk or the other. The question is, can you really afford to take big risks? Today your answer may be no, but suppose you inherit a large sum of money next year. That would surely change the amount of funds you have at your disposal. Naturally, your ability to meet your financial needs will improve with this inheritance. Since you are not expecting this inheritance that you had just received, it means that now you have a higher risk capacity. Then what about risk tolerance? You missed a fine print in Sanjeev's comment. He said a rational person. Are we rational person or emotional person? Well, I would like to think that I am very rational, but you do make a good point. My emotions often interfere with my decision making. That's how risk tolerance is different than risk capacity. It's the amount of risk that an investor is willing to take without losing sleep. This is a personal matter. Most of us lack a concrete sense of our own risk tolerance. In good times, we tend to overrate our tolerance for uncertainty. But as soon as things will go haywire, our risk tolerance shows up. We often found that our risk tolerance is much lower than what we originally thought. None of us are fully immune to this. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a bit nuanced, but I get it. It seems risk tolerance is very subjective and your answer could be very different than mine. The model investor gets tripped by both these factors. First, the model investor may have chosen the right investments based on her goals, but she may not have explicitly thought of her risk capacity. Usually, this happens due to our recency bias on the performance of the investments. Just like me, I'm sure that there are other people who do not have good sense of their risk capacity, as in how much of a downturn can their financial position deal with, and how long a downturn they have the funds for. But risk tolerance is another matter altogether. Someone may have a robust financial situation and therefore high capacity for risk, but her risk tolerance may be too low and it might not make sense for that investor to avoid risk. The ideal situation is when the investor's risk tolerance is perfectly aligned with their risk capacity. But it takes time and self-awareness to get there. Without a good sense of their own risk capacity, it gets very hard even for the model investor, to stay calm. And then their loss aversion kicks in. Investor lose nerve and bail out of the thoughtful investment strategy. The worst situation is when an investor completely loses confidence in the market. They panic, sell at the wrong time and decide to stay away forever. This is exactly what happened to many retirees in the financial crisis of 2008. That is such a terrible outcome. So what can we do to avoid such situations? It is important to get a good sense of my personal risk capacity. 
I need to make an educated guess about the maximum drawdown and the duration for which the investment portfolio might be underwater. Can I meet my financial goals without selling assets at depressed price? And for doing this, I prefer taking a more conservative view and be aware of the history of the financial market. Basically, this boils down to the simple thing. If you have an investment strategy that you have put together based on your goals, you should just stick to it and ignore the market. As Mr. Bean might say, do nothing and nothing will go wrong. <laughs> you have to accept that markets will go up and down and your investments are going to vary with the market. High return in stock market does not come free. You have to pay an emotional price to it, which is to sail through these high waves without losing your nerve. Hmm, I guess I'll have to put serious effort to get better at this. But suppose I master it, I become disciplined and I can maintain course. What more can I do here? Well, you can do a couple of things. One is if you are planning to rebalance later and the stocks are looking cheap now, you might just go ahead and rebalance right away without waiting. Two is remember Buffett's word, be greedy when the market is fearful. When there is blood on the street, especially on Wall Street, and people are selling good investments left and right because they need to raise cash. Scooping up good value might feel like shooting fish in the barrel. And this is particularly true for investments that are not very liquid. For example, closed-end funds. They often sell at a deep discount during these times. Hey Sanjeev, I have a question here. When there is so much fluctuation in prices, how do I know if it is cheap enough already or it is likely to be even cheaper? Take all these unicorn high-flying companies for example, their valuation is changing every day and night. It is hard to tell if they already bottomed out or not. Well, that's not really a problem for long-established companies whose products and place in the market are very well studied. Or if the valuation of a company is also well understood. So companies that are part of everyday staple, utilities, etc. These are good examples. But for now, let's take a quick break and come back to this later. If you're into investing in individual stocks and base your investment decisions on analysis of the company fundamentals instead of blind speculation or past performance, you're probably familiar with different methodologies for determining a fair price of a particular stock. A common approach is to use the dividend discount model for businesses that share their profit in forms of regular dividend payments. The thought process goes like this. Since owning a share of the company entitles the investor to receive dividends for the foreseeable future, and the dividends will likely grow at a steady rate over time as the company prospers with the economy, the stock price can be based solely on the basis of all future dividends that the shareholder would receive in the lifetime of the business. However, since the dividends will be paid at different points in time, but the investor must pay for the stock today in order to be entitled for the dividends, each of these future receipts must be discounted to a lower amount to reflect their present value. For example, if you're expecting a dividend of $10 next year, you should pay less than $10 today, perhaps eight or so, to have a claim on that money next year. That $8 is the present value of the dividend that's due next year. This adjustment is called discounting. A stock's fair price can be estimated as the sum of the present values of all future dividend payments. 
but how much do we discount a future cash receipt to get its equivalent present value today? That depends on two factors. First is how far in the future the cash will be available. $10 in two years is less valuable than $10 next year. The second and most important factor is the discount rate, which depends on the risk associated with the cash receipt. If the future receipt is relatively certain, then the discount rate will be much lower compared to if the business is shaky and there's uncertainty about it being able to pay out dividends in the future. The riskier the company is, the higher the discount rate. And the higher the discount rate, the lower the present value of that future payment. This would mean that all else being equal, stocks of a risky business should be priced lower than that of a safer business. On the surface, this sounds like a great method to determine the fair value of a stock and buy it only if its current price aligns with the fair value as calculated from the dividend discount model. But there's a problem. The calculated fair price depends on the discount rate used, and it's very hard to make an educated guess. Variation in the discount rate would cause major fluctuations in the price estimate. How do we get around that? This is where the Gordon equation comes in. Instead of trying to guess the fair market price today, an investor may want to ask a different question. If I buy the stock today at its current price, what would be the expected long-term return? The Gordon equation answers that question by using the same mathematical formula as the discounted dividend model and tweaking its terms. The expected return is the sum of the dividend yield and the expected annual growth rate of the dividend. To give an example, if the stock trades at $100 and currently pays $5 each year as a dividend, and the dividend is expected to grow at an annual rate of 3%, then the expected annual return is 8%. How? The current dividend yield is 5%, the annual dividend of $5 divided by the stock price of $100, and the 3% annual dividend growth, and you get 8% as your expected return. The stock can be bought if this return estimate meets or exceeds the investor's expectations. Welcome back everyone. We are discussing investing discipline in market volatility. We talked about the model investor quite a bit today. Still, I do feel a bit uneasy. Something feels different this time. <laughs> you are saying what Sir Templeton characterized as the four most dangerous words in investments. This time is different. Why do you think that this is new or something unprecedented? What is making you question your own investment thesis? Well, for starters, it seems a lot of things are happening at the same time. First of all, there is this tremendous drop in portfolio value in a short time. Granted that I'm supposed to be well aware of this. Second though, there is inflation, which is unexpectedly high and it doesn't show any sign of cooling down. And then third, there is this unexpected war and it is stressing the global financials even more. Are there actions to be taken to deal with inflation? That's the question uppermost in my mind. Well, we are in bear market for sure. We have definitely gone down more than 20%. At the same time, bear markets are common and history suggests that there is nothing unprecedented or unexpected about it. In fact, if I remember correctly, the drop so far is much less than the average drop in the bear markets. So don't be surprised if things look even worse. Now, while bear markets seem like a problem, it's also a sign that the markets and the business cycles are functioning as expected. 
instead of going in one direction only. It would be unnatural to not have any bear markets for a long time. In some sense, this is really a relief to me. But what about inflation? This is definitely new to me. I never saw such a high inflation. Something needs to happen to get a handle on it. Well, inflation might seem new for a lot of us, but that's more because we just got used to this chronically low inflation for a very long time. If you look at only the recent years, like last one year or two years, it looks alarming, true. But if you look back 10-15 years ago and compare the prices then versus the prices today, the increase will look much more tolerable. I'm worried though that there is going to be such a change in supply chain and manufacturing this time that it is going to be hard to improve the situation. Well, that may be an illusion, frankly. Change and major, major disruptions they have always been there, especially in recent decades. First, manufacturing moved to China. But then the labor cost rose there because everything moved to China. Then the supply chain became more global. Now there is a need to reorganize manufacturing to avoid regional lockdowns and geopolitical risks. So things have been changing and they will always be changing. I wouldn't say there is anything particularly special this time that might make it very difficult for the global economy to stabilize. Okay, so let me see if I get this right. You're really saying that companies are surviving and thriving through these changes. There may be new winners, but if you're invested in a balanced and well-diversified portfolio, then you should see growth over the long term. If someone is trying to speculate, pick stocks and time the market, that's their choice. Exactly. The volatility will eventually go down, but then something new will happen and then it will go up again. That cycle is going to be constant. We don't really have to do anything special. Just stick to a balanced, well-diversified portfolio that is tuned to your financial needs. Well, here's a question. This really surprised me. Why are the bonds dropping too? Aren't they supposed to be your portfolio ballast, you know, to exactly prevent a total meltdown of your portfolio during such crisis? We have seen that during market stress, the correlation between different asset classes become much higher. That is a fancy way to say that things tend to move together when everything looks dicey. Short term, it's common to see both stock and bond going in the same direction. But this time, there are some unique sequence of events that are affecting bonds because they are facing dual pressure. The first one is high inflation. For example, if you are going to lock away your money in a bond for a long time and the inflation is high, you naturally demand a higher yield because you are going to lose your purchasing power over that period. In other words, the high yield will force the price of the bond to go down. Then the other factor is the rapid rise in interest rates. And that's why in the short term, stocks or bonds are looking like they are highly correlated. But here is something interesting I noticed. If you look at the total return of inflation protected bonds in the last six months or a year, they have not done so bad. In fact, these inflation protected bonds behave very much like what we have expected from your bond investments. That is a great observation. And this again brings back to our perception of inflation. Inflation is one of the most insidious factors of bond investments. And that's why inflation protection is so important if you have a large bond holding. Let me summarize what we are saying. 
the bottom line is we should not start making any changes as a knee jerk reaction to the market volatility when we invest in an asset class we must understand what purpose it serves in the portfolio whenever we make any change we should be clear that it aligns with our own goals and investment strategy short term optimization may be tempting but in the long run it rarely makes any difference well, i have to say this was a great discussion it clarified a lot of my thoughts maybe i will be a little bit less anxious now when i see the sticker turning red uh the stock ticker turning red or hear how the s&p took a dive i hope it does the same for our listeners too that's all folks for this episode from us today and we will be back with another one thank you for joining us thank you for listening to the podcast we hope it was helpful if you want to know more about dollar mentor or have any questions please visit www.dollarmentor.org or shoot us an email at contact at dollarmentor.org. Please remember that this podcast was not individually tailored investment advice or any other professional advice, but was strictly for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes. Stay safe, and we hope to have you back again for the next episode.